Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for On the Money, presented by Embassy National Bank. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Joe Moss, moderator of On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. Um, I'm the president over at Embassy, and I have the pleasure of being able to uh, bring various topics to educate small business on how to be successful and how to avoid all the minefields that are out there. Uh, Today's show is especially important with all the news that's breaking around uh, the U.S. with Home Depot and uh, J.P. Morgan and some other places. Uh, target, I guess, a while ago. We're going to talk about cybersecurity, but we're not going to talk about it from a big box perspective or you know, a big bank or anything like that. We're going to talk about how it affects the small businessman, uh, because I think this is an area where small business people are painfully unaware uh, what kind of threats they're up against on a day-to-day basis. And joining me today is Jeff Brown, And he is Director and Senior Advisor for Compliance and Security at a company called Compliance Point. And uh, they specialize in providing cybersecurity to small business. And I'm real real happy to have you today, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I want to talk today. Tell me about your company and what you do first. As as you mentioned, we're kind uh, of specialized in, in helping organizations uh, kind of maneuver and educate them in what they what they need to do with respect to various regulatory and industry uh, compliance standards. As well, is uh, help them uh, understand what their uh, they can do from a best practices on protecting their organization, understanding what you know, and and that's really starts with understanding what data they're trying to protect, and uh, and then educating their, their, their employees and their staff on their role in that subject matter, and then from there, building out the infrastructures and being able to monitor uh, what's going on within their environment. And uh, should a small businessman be worried about threats to his security network? Absolutely. Um, we're seeing uh, that trend change where uh, a decade ago, the, the major focus was on the, your Fortune 500 and the big companies. We're starting to see that more of that focus uh, from, a, from a criminal aspect of uh, smaller businesses being attacked, uh, mainly because they don't have the security infrastructure uh, uh, in place. They're not watching what's going on within their organization, and they're not training their employees on what they need to do. Are are there certain small businesses that are targeted more than others? We're seeing um, retail, hospitality uh, are a t- couple of the bigger areas right now that are focused on that. Um, but in reality, healthcare again uh, is an area where we're seeing a lot uh, more breaches over the last few years as well. Um, small uh, physician practices and community hospitals are. Uh, right now, again, uh, not really uh, adhering to some of the standards such as HIPAA, and uh, they're uh, they're kind of uh, exposed to uh, potential breaches and uh, and the fines and stuff that go with that. So, um, we do a lot of work with the hospitality industry, uh, especially the um, uh, seventy room moderately priced hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about what specifically what that risk is and how could a um, a smaller hotel be affected. The main part of that uh, is in uh, the the payment uh, card requirements. Uh, that that's the the big thing is how they're 
handling their customers' credit cards, uh, the information, um, if they're doing that in a compliant fashion where, where the information is, is not disclosed anywhere within their network or is being stored in some place, um, if, they're, if they're following those standards and uh, they're using uh, third parties that, that can uh, encrypt that information, then they're doing at least some of the things right. But having policies in place is, is, is extremely important uh, for them to do that. But the other areas is just employee information. Really anything that any data that potentially uh, it can be neg negatively impact the business if it was taken by, by, by somebody. Um, now, even if they're associated with a franchise, such as a Holiday Inn or a Comfort Inn or whatever, um, there's probably still risk because I guess they're not sure how, those, how the franchise might be uh, protecting that data. Well, again, the big issue is the human element. And so, you know, again, you may have uh, maybe an insider th type of scenario where somebody's either uh, purposely or, or by accident uh, exposing that information. Uh, or it could be that they're just uh, have a vulnerability that they haven't addressed and then somebody gets into, into that. Uh, the other thing is you have to be cognizant of, and it, it's impacted some of these bigger ones, is where you get a franchise has, has an exposure that actually leads to uh, risk to the, the bigger organization too. So interesting. Um, let's uh, let's talk about, for example, um, uh, an accounting, a small accounting firm. Um, probably have a lot of information on the on a network. Mm -hmm probably have an open port on the internet mm -hmm. uh they may just have a little tiny firewall out there is that enough no uh what an organization needs to have again is is they have to have documented policies and procedures that detail out how their organization is is protecting that information what they're going to do in response to an incident and how they're monitoring and enforcing protection of that information. They're dealing with customer information and they're opening themselves up to uh, not only just fines, but civil actions and other areas, class action issues, if they're allowing customer information to get in the wrong hands and that can be used uh, for negative purposes. So. Now, I, I noticed in uh, the Home Depot uh, write-up that they indicated that, uh, I mean, here it is and here we are in September and they're doing their research and they found out that all this stuff has been going on potentially since early July. So let's talk about a small business that has a network. It's got a little firewall for, you know, and they're doing any type of thing. How would they know that they're actually being hacked? They probably wouldn't. That's the problem. Usually it's because of a third party. Uh, I've had experiences with a small restaurant that called me up and the way they found out that they've been, had been uh, had for months had credit card information siphoned out of their business. Is uh, the Secret Service uh, guys showed up at their door and informed them that they've been breached, and uh, that's most of the time. It's usually a third party that alerts the small business. Very seldom do they have the monitoring and infrastructure uh, in place, uh, or have hired somebody in place to to be able to detect that beforehand. Um, and before the show, you, you said something interesting. I thought about uh, a signature. Uh, the Home Depot was looking for a particular signature. Do, do hackers have their own unique signature? 
every type of attack has a specific signature. And if you look at technologies like firewalls or what they call intrusion detection, they look for specific signatures that to kind of identify specific malicious uh, attacks or, or that that can happen. And, and so you're hoping that if you've got the technology in place, uh, certain, you know, and you can see certain patterns that you can be detect that before it becomes a big issue. Um, again, the, a lot of there's still a lot of information that hasn't been really released on Home Depot, so it's hard to comment on that. But uh, we, we, you know, we're seeing that, uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you've got to be proactive. You got to be, you've got to continually monitor and look for anomalies that don't look right. A good example is if you're seeing traffic go to Russia or China or other countries coming out of that, you don't have customers over there, then that's a good flag that something wrong is happening in your network. And you, uh, I mean, they run these through multiple IP addresses. You, It may look pretty benign, I guess, if you're looking at it. Uh, in some respects, yeah. For the, the normal individual, they may not see that looks like different than anything else. It's just, a, again, it's a matter of the tools and the experience of the people that are monitoring that. Um, this is Joe Moss, and I'm hosting On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, and we're talking with uh, Jeff Brown about uh, cybersecurity and the small business. And what I'm hearing is uh, uh, pretty nerve-wracking, pretty scary, I would think, um, for the small businessman, because I think they believe, many of them believe that they are don't have a lot of data. Why would anybody want to mess with them? But uh, you mentioned that it's starting, the hackers are starting to, kind of go down below the Fortune 500 companies? And and, and what what exactly are they looking for? How do they know that there's an, uh, an entree? You know, how do they know? Well, again, it's the profile of the, uh, of the, of the particular business they're going after. So, excuse me. <coughs> um, the, uh, um, what, what they're really looking for is money. Um, if you look at it, over 90% of what, these guys are going after is they're, they're going to identities that they can sell or credit card or financial information. So um, when you go after retail, they're just going after the money. Um, for healthcare, they're going after the identity stuff. Uh, so it just it just depends on the profile of the organization. and They know what they're looking for. So they identify the business first. Uh, yes, yes. Okay. They, it's again, and it's real. It's interesting how they do that because they can go out and they can scan and they can look for certain profiles. And uh, you know, again, these these folks are very good at what they do. So, why wouldn't they take all that ingenuity and apply it to something that could help people as opposed to stealing? Uh, I, don't, I wish I do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'd solve a lot of problems, right? Um, talk about retail. You you mentioned retail and the exposure there. Uh, like a what Hallmark gift card shop? I mean, do they have risk? Yeah, yes. They, well, anybody that accepts credit cards, there's some undue risk because there's again, there's there's two aspects. There's the information, the data itself, but there's also the individual accepting the card. So uh, they have to obviously conduct themselves in a way to, to ensure that that's secure as well. Uh, there are technologies coming out. It will be released over the next couple of years. That will help on the the data side or the the infrastructure thing, as they call it, EMV or the pin and chip. Which you know the the challenge for merchants though is they've got to pull out all of their technology and put in the new stuff in order to to, to be able to support that. But that will uh, actually prevent 
a, a, a number of these types of attacks because the information will be encrypted right to the, the, the payment processor. But uh, it's, uh, it does not basically eliminate the human factor as far as there's no stopping that clerk from writing that credit card number down, going out and then hitting on, getting on an online gaming system or something like that that night. So, Well, I've also heard um, that they remember the numbers and they run it three or four times, that, that a merchant may do that. Uh, a hotelier was telling me that uh, um, there was a particular hotel owner that would remember the, the, the card numbers and just kept running that same card number. Yeah, and that's, of course, that's really risky for uh, any organization to store those credit cards because, again, that just opens them up for breach. Most organizations that need to do a, a resale of some kind will set up what they call a token. And, and what that is is they'll, they'll, they'll get issued a token from their payment processor, and they can use that, but it has no relevance actually to the credit card number itself. So mm -hmm. nowhere are they actually storing the credit card number. Go back to the retail thing. Um, so you're saying if I swipe my credit card, someone swipes my credit card, say, at a Hallmark or a, a bookstore or whatever, um, that transaction is probably going to go through their server first, and then it goes out to whatever the, wherever the exchange is. So I guess the hacker is trying to look at that server level for that information. If it's stored there, uh, a lot of systems will go, you know, um, it will never actually get stored on the server. It will go into memory and go directly out to the payment processor. And with, I'm hoping it's encrypted because it should be. Uh, at that point, the only time that it's exposed is when it's in memory at that point. And that's one area I know the PCI Council is looking to address is that one small area where that, that happens. The pin and chip technology will help address some of that, as I'd mentioned. Is the retailer liable at that point? Uh, I know on our side as a banker, if they uh, if a customer disputes a charge, we have the ability to charge it back to the merchant. Mm -hmm. Is the merchant liable for fraud at that point if the transaction hasn't left their server yet? Um, I guess they have to go collect it, don't they? Yeah, there's a settlement process, an authorization process that has to happen before the transaction is complete. So, and, uh, but as far as the liability, if there's a breach, you know, the merchant has some responsibility. Ultimately, they're the responsible party. Um, but any third party associated with that could also be part of that. Okay. Um, all right, let's... We've kind of talked about the, the landscape a little bit. What should someone do, a small business owner? What do they need to do? Well, when they sign uh, an agreement with the credit card companies, they say, we will be compliant with the PCI standard. Uh, doing that means that they need to do a number of things. One is they have to establish a set of policies and procedures. They have to be written and documented and demonstrate that they can, they're enforced within their organization. They have to provide certain technical infrastructure components to ensure, like firewalls. Um, they've got to educate their, their, their staff on their role in protecting that information, whether that's accepting it at the, at the front desk whether or not it's transmitting that information or how they're accessing the systems that support that. Uh, and then and third, like I said, they've got to have some diligence of monitoring what's going on within their systems. And if they don't have the staff or the expertise, I, I strongly recommend that they hire somebody to help them with that. Um, 
you just mentioned something. When they sign the merchant agreement, they have to sign up that they will stay compliant with PCI standards. Correct. Do they all even know what that is? I don't know what that is. Well, um, you know, again, it's PCI is a consortium of the five major car brands and that have basically took – each one had a standard and they consolidated that. And uh, so you have to – if you're going to accept credit cards, you have to uh, basically ad- ad- adhere to that. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't think the industry's done as well at educating the small businesses and, and, and even the medium businesses on their roles, responsibility, and things that they need to do. And that, that's part of something we try to do is just try to uh, help them understand what they have to do in order to meet the requirement. And then over and above that, just you know, providing a level of security within their operation. So any, any piece of data that's available – uh, from their server or from their PC that is connected to the outside uh, needs to be thought of and looked at, need documented. Here's what I've got here, and it's, yes, it is accessible. How am I protecting that? If, again, the, if, if the data had basically, if, if the company will experience negative impact by that data being exposed or in the hands of somebody, then it should, then from a security standpoint, you should have some kind of uh, a sec- security program around how you're protecting that information. Yeah, okay. Um, mistakes. What kind of mistakes are you seeing out there? What's the biggest mistake you've seen? Uh, the, you, there's, there's a whole myriad. The, the big one is assuming that just because that you don't store credit card information, you don't have to be PCI compliant. Uh, that's probably the big one. The the other one is uh, you know not documenting the pro- your processes because if you get breached, the first thing the forensic guy does is he'll go in and he'll say, "Where's your policies and procedures?" If they don't have them, then immediately they're going to say, "Well, you're not in compliance." Um, the the other things that you're seeing is people just not monitoring. The, I think the biggest one is people aren't watching what's going on in their networks, and if if they were to have somebody doing it or them doing it. They would see some some of the issues, and then of course testing their environment, right? Do, doing checks, scanning their their networks, making sure that their all their employees are going through their training, and again the, the weakest link is the people. So if people forget to do things, um, that's where a continuous program of, of monitoring and both from a compliance as well as security is is kind of critical and. It's very uh, labor-intensive, so for a small business, it's hard to do, and that's why, as I said, uh, if you don't have the people, go find a partner. We, uh, at the bank, we have uh, tests where uh, uh, we'll hire an audit firm. It's a requirement of our regulators to come in and, and actually call employees of the bank and ask them for certain pieces of data mm-hmm. uh, to see if they can get a hold of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I for, I suspect that happens across the board. We it's social engineering projects. We do those periodically. We get asked to come in and do that to healthcare organizations and, and other comp- types of companies. And it's eye opening to see how easy it is to get that information from that they're not following their own procedure. So um, it's kind of scary. Um, the critical items a company has to have in place. What are what are some of those? From a security, I think this starts with the executive and the owners of the company and understanding what they're trying to protect and understand the risk that they're going to. And once they do that, they again, it's it's creating the policies, it's educating their staff, it's building a security infrastructure, 
and, 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 and hiring either internally or externally the people to, to monitor and enforce it. And uh, so it's, those, are, those are the big things. Basic things like firewalls and stuff like that obviously are, are important, um, but that, you can't just depend on that. You've got to have a multi-layer approach to how you're protecting your information. Yeah, even a, throw it out there, a small builder, you know, someone building 100 homes a year, uh, he probably has some pretty sensitive customer data somewhere on his server that can be accessed. Well, I don't think nobody, any business doesn't want their financial information out there waving in the wind. So, mm -hmm. um, Have we gone overboard with all this stuff? I wish I'd say, yeah, but no. It, Is it just getting worse? It's it, Well, yeah, and again, with the technology and the, and the Internet, you know, you're dealing a little bit with the Wild West. There are companies and, and, and organizations out there that just will not adhere to the laws of the various countries and, and, and that. And while we've got people out there doing that, you have to protect yourself. You know, it's the same question is, is you know, do you, why do you lock your doors at night? Well, there's a reason. So uh, it's the same thing here. You need to you need you need to protect what you find is valuable. So, what about your um, uh, the smartphones and and the the notepads and all the linkages that go back to the company and all the synchronization? Uh, well, that makes it even more complicated. Back when I started business, security meant putting a lock on a door. Uh, today, that data is no longer in the that room anymore. And uh, mobile devices has complicated the whole process because now you've got doctors and you've got people out there that have sensitive data walking around in their pocket. And how do you ensure that those devices aren't been compromised, that have vulnerabilities, that somebody can go in? And the easiest thing for a criminal to do is not to try and break the door down, but to take compromise an individual with credentials and go right in at the front door. And that's where... Uh, having a, either they call a BYOD, bring your own device, or a mobile device strategy, and how you're going to protect that information becomes critical as part of your overall strategy. And how do you, um, even in a, in a uh, let, all right, let's go this way. Um, I, I do want to talk to you about it because you brought it up earlier and before the, the show you indicated, oh, the cloud, don't get me started. I do want to get you started a little bit on that. Talk about um, how wide open the cloud might be. Well, to preface this, you can be compliant in the cloud. There are ways to do that. It's more difficult because when you talk in the cloud, you're talking about virtualization of your information, which means really uh, of a large cloud organization, you have no idea where exactly that data is being located. It could be one of a number of different sites. You don't even know if that data is being housed in your country anymore. And again, it's up. Then it's dependent on whether or not those people that are managing those environments are meeting the same security and standards from a compliance standpoint that that you are. So, you've really got to do your due diligence. Those cloud providers still have to validate that they are compliant with the various standards. But it becomes more challenging. And if you've got federal standards to meet, cloud becomes a little more com complicated because. Some of the federal standards require you, the data has to reside in the U.S. The, um, let's say, uh, I, I'm just thinking aloud, uh, a law firm that has signed up with a uh, mid-range technology company, and they've got a cloud, which basically is a server somewhere, and they're storing all that information up there. Um, 
How often is that cloud or that server provider, how often are they actually audited for this stuff? It depends on the standard. Uh, PCI is an annual standard. Uh, HIPAA is usually required as an annual standard for that. Um, SOC 2 is an an annual standard. So most of them are done annually. I Personally, I recommend that they take a continuous approach to it, though, and to have a continuous where they're continuing a testing and validating that these controls are in place because um, most of these standards are point in time. And point in time says you can be certified and compliant one minute and the next day that you're not compliant anymore because you forgot to do some things. So having a continuous and a diligent approach to ensure that you're meeting certain standards is, is, is critical. Um, one of the biggest things that uh, I've seen happen are people leave a company and they don't get them off the server. Yeah. Well, again, that's part of doing the things you need to do on an ongoing basis. And one of them is, is you know, if, if uh, making sure that people that shouldn't have access to that information are turned off and turned off immediately. Um, what you're starting to see with mobile devices, too, that uh, on uh, a termination notice is not only do they terminate you, but they wipe your phone if you're using mm-hmm. your own personal phone. Um, and there's a reason for that is because... It's again, it's a point of access to the corporate information, and you want to make sure. But there's a lot of companies I go to that have, uh, you know, have six months uh, people that have left the company and are still sitting there having having access to different parts of their organization. Uh, this is Joe Moss. Uh, uh, you're uh, listening to On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank, uh, talking to Jeff Brown about cybersecurity and the small business. And we're getting a real earful about uh, some of the risks that are out there. And I don't think most small businesses understand the risk that they've got. Is that what you've noticed over the, over the years? Yes, uh, definitely. It's, um, you know, again, there is no, you know, PCI has a lot of information on their website and that, but there's no real emphasis for folks to kind of learn. And, and then there's so many standards right now, both from a federal standpoint, from a state, from the industry coming at people, they, they're, they're, they're trying to scratch their head as far as what do I need to do? What, how do I do this? And again, it's, it's one of the things where if you're not looking for somebody to help you with that, uh, you're really going to struggle meeting those requirements. So. Well, if, I, if I'm a small business and I'm using an outside provider for my, for my technology, uh, let's say they're managing my servers or uh, providing me disk space or whatever. What can I ask them to make sure that they are compliant with the standards that you're talking about? Well, if it's PCI or it's OCTU, you can ask them to say, I need to see your certification that they've gone through that process. And and I would. If, if, it's, if it's credit cards in nature, then they need to show that they're PCI compliant as a service provider. Uh, that's... You know that that's the first thing. The second thing is, you don't want the people implementing or handling your to actually do your audit. You want to have an independent person come in and actually evaluate to, to make sure that the way that's been implemented meets the standard. So, and that it's ongoing. Correct. Okay. Um, what kind of tools does your company have? Well, most of what we do is, as I said, we, we help organizations understand where they stand with the various compliance, such as PCI or HIPAA. Um, they, we uh, give them a roadmap on how they can remediate and, and, and provide that, uh, kind of how they can meet the compliance requirements. 
We do provide a continuous program, which includes a technology platform to help them automate the assignment of tasks, the notifications when things aren't getting done, and gives them real-time visibility into their compliance levels at any point in time. But the majority, this is a program more than it is just a piece of software that allows them to, to look at this continuously to make sure that they're, they're continually meeting those requirements and they haven't forgotten to do some things that could make them vulnerable. Um, going back over, over your years, tell me the, the, I guess, the, the worst horror story that you've heard of or seen uh, along these lines for a small business and what the actual impact was. Well, we've seen we've seen small restaurants go out of business on overreach, where literally they've been you know between the uh, the fines and the cost of remediation has basically they've just shut their doors. And what happened with those? Give me an example. Um, they you know they were taking credit cards and uh, they had no real security infrastructure or firewall, and somebody was able to get into their point of sale device. And pull all the credit cards out, and you know, if it's one or two, it's not going to be a big issue. But if there's hundreds of credit cards, then the, then the you know you'll see the feds get involved, you'll see the credit card companies get involved, and then it's a very difficult process. And as I said, fines are fines are challenging. Tr- increased transaction fees hurt, um, but then when you start adding tens of thousands of dollars uh, to remediate these issues, uh, you know, small business that's especially a small restaurant-type business that's really on thin margins to begin with. They, they say, we just can't do it. And, and they may not even know what's going on. They don't. They get totally blindsided. And you indicated uh, before the show that somebody, a uh, pizza owner, uh, found out because the Secret Service showed up. Yeah. Well, normally, uh, the, uh, that's the way that people find out. They find out because... Uh, you know, whether Secret Service or FBI or local authorities or somebody come to their door and say, hey, we've had reports of credit card theft and we're pointing to your environment. And then from there, they have to go through a forensic process of determining if that's the case. And if that's the case, then there's a remediation process that has to happen. Yeah, because that card data gets captured there, but it may be used on another site. So they wouldn't even know that it's even hit their, even hit their store. Correct. Okay. Um, I, I guess, what's the future of all this look like? Is it just going to get worse before it gets better? Uh, are you going to see a, a retrenching of technology uh, because it can't be protected? Or what are we going to see? It's getting better. One of the things that's happening is that we're accelerating. Uh, you know, the, the problem with the way current U.S. credit cards are is where, you know, we've been doing the same thing for a couple of decades now, where the Europeans and Canadians have gone to this pin and chip scenario. It doesn't 100% eliminate potential breaches, but it really uh, eliminates, you know, the, the at the, what I call the card not present or the merchant mm-hmm. type of scenario. And so you're starting to see more than that. There's other things that the council's done, such as the peer-to-peer encryption standard, where that's going to be a big help to, to merchants because, the, the, the credit card information is basically does, doesn't show up anywhere in the clear. It, it's owned basically by the processor. And uh, they're working at getting, starting to get those out as well. Um, I see that 
credit cards themselves may disappear and there's be just a whole different way to have a transaction where you, you don't have a credit card number. You've got some kind of token that's meaningless and that you just use that to make your payment. So you're starting to see that with the, with the I think the first implementation was like the Bitcoin, but you're starting to see more and more of those. So. Well, but we had a whole show on uh, virtual currencies and that's one of the things that's attractive is you don't verify that unless you can match up with somebody's phone and get their right get their encryption um, you know there are ways to still to you know obviously beat the system on that but again i think it makes it more difficult for the thieves because they're not getting real currency that they can sell um you mentioned retail and hospitality uh medical any other uh industries that are more susceptible than others from a breach really it goes across the board you know um, financial industries, any, as I said, where, where you've got assets. Um, we're seeing um, government is another area that uh, are really susceptible to breach. Universities all of a sudden have become big targets. They've always been targets, but now they're going after student information, their social security numbers. There's the parents' financial information out there, and that's, there's huge gold mines of information that these universities have to protect. And the smaller ones... What can a student? What can a? What can an individual do to protect themselves? Just deal in cash, I guess. That's one way to do it. <laughs> um, the other thing is just do your diligence. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that's taught me is I look at my bank accounts daily. Uh, I freeze my credit so that nobody can do try to do some kind of identity fraud. You've got to kind of take be a act kind of a proactive approach to protecting your credit. Uh, you know, profile. But what you mentioned was everything was on the on the backside. Um, I guess, uh, for example, if I go online and make a tuition payment yep. to my university, mm-hmm. um, that data's there. Yep. And if you apply for financial aid, and that information's in the university, they got social security numbers, you got your credit information, they got everything. So you almost need to kind of double check them and see what kind of standards they follow well, before you give it all to them. There's a standard called FERPA for the universities and how they're protecting student information. So they have to apply, you know, abide by that just the same as the, the folks have to do credit cards or healthcare. So, And those standards that you keep talking about, I guess I want to kind of zero in on this. Um, who do they hire or do they have to hire anybody to certify they're following that standard? It depends uh, for example, we um, actually have to be certified by the PCI Council, so we represent we we are certified representatives to be able to assess, attest that they're doing the right things. With the federal ones, there is no certification for most of them. If you go to HIPAA or you go to FERPA, they're standards, but there is no certification body, so they have to be compliant with the program, but there is no quote certification of it. So. so if I go to my doctor and say, show me where you've tested yourself to be uh, per, uh, within the guidelines of HIPAA, is there some kind of document he could show me? They should have either themselves or something else they can provide that says, here's a report that validates we're HIPAA compliant. They have to submit that. Usually, if they're in, there's a couple of different programs within the healthcare. If they're getting funding from the government, that they're required to submit that kind of a security risk report. Um, they should have that on file. So, but they, you know, again, um, for the most part, most people won't ask for that. So, well, I'm just thinking that's just a whole other thing I got to ask for when I'm looking for a doctor. This is too getting too complicated. And the other thing is, is you know, you think about that. Dentists are in the same boat. Oh my goodness, yeah. 
So, and again, you know, it's it's a, and and if you think about how, you know, in the past you see files files where behind the receptions desk all they got is a set of all the files just yeah. sitting there and there's no no security. It's it's kind of amazing. So, that's true. That's true. Um, well, tell me. Uh, Let's finish up, and I'll give you the, an opportunity to summarize. Why don't you tell everybody how they can get a hold of your company and uh, specifically what kind of services you can provide um, and, uh, and, and what the benefits are? Yeah. Uh, well, as I mentioned, Compliance Point specializes specifically in compliance and security. So if you're looking to some help and understanding kind of where you're at and what you need to do to, to secure your environment or be compliant with a standard, we provide services, everything from the assessments to vulnerability scanning and penetration testing and, and just general consulting from uh, just helping you kind of put a plan together for that. Um, you know, we, we've got a, a blog site, blog.compliancepointis.com, where we talk about the continuous program and how that can help organizations be more diligent on making sure that they're meeting those requirements. Uh, our... our, our uh, and we, you know, we do regular we do regular education and webinars to, to just to help under people understand about what they should be aware of and and what we can do to 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 assist them going forward. All right. So if we want to kind of summarize what we've learned today, one is if you're a small business, <laughs> here's what I've learned: if you're a small business, you've got customer data residing on your server, you have access to the internet, uh, you're susceptible to being uh, pirated and hacked. Mm -hmm. Um, that's number one, which is just about everybody. Two, you have the responsibility to sit down and identify that information and try to and do your best to do your homework to implement programs um, on an ongoing basis that will make sure that you're protected. Correct. And you've got to take a fiduciary responsibility in protecting whatever cust customer information that you might be gathering. And the risks are significant to your business if you don't take that seriously. Um, well, this is this is uh, very eye-opening um, uh, for me. I wasn't sure what to expect today because, you know, again, we think of the cyber threat as being the Home Depots and the Targets and everything, but uh, and the banks, and because I live with that all day long. But um, God, the small pizza guy, whatever. I mean, it's it's a risk for everybody. Those are only the ones that make the front page, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us today. Okay, well, I um, appreciate I've it. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I think it's been an excellent conversation. And uh, we'll have to do this again because I'm sure there's more to talk about. Uh, we could talk for some time. I bet we could. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. This is Joe Moss, uh, moderator of On the Money, brought to you by Embassy National Bank. And uh, the, our show this week was on cybersecurity and the small business. And uh, thanks for listening. And as I say every week, uh, be careful out there. It's a tough world. Okay, everybody, have a good afternoon. Thanks.